Welcome to the Emirates MBD Market Matters podcast. I'm Katija Huck, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Edward Bell, to talk about the Fed's latest move. Hi, Ed. Hi, Katija. So it's been something of a crazy and, I guess, painful week uh, for financial markets in the run-up to last night's Fed meeting, uh, where the FOMC ended up raising rates by 75 basis points instead of the 50 basis points that they'd signaled in their forward guidance post the May meeting. Now, we, the market had started pricing a 75 basis point rate hike after last week's worse than expected May inflation reading and also the preliminary University of Michigan survey um, that was also released last Friday. Now, Chair Powell did say in his statement yesterday that those two data points were the main reasons that the Fed decided to be more aggressive with the tightening announced yesterday. So maybe we should start there. Um, Why was the data at the end of last week so worrying for the Fed? Yeah, that's right. I think so. We had the comment from Powell that both those data points were quite eye-catching and probably not something you want to hear from a central bank governor, that data is coming really surprising them. Uh, and also surprising them on the negative. So I think that's the real kind of worry that that prompted the larger than expected move with the 75 basis point hike. So we had this uh, May CPI print of 8.6% year on year, obviously very high, but we're sort of expecting things to be high in the inflation narrative right now anyway. I think what was the big worry for the Fed is that on a monthly basis, we actually had an acceleration in inflation. So we went from 0.3% in April month a month to 1%. Now, in an economy as developed as the United States, a 1% month a month increase in inflation certainly is eye-catching and quite a worrying signal and really going, I think, against the Fed's um, real desired objective for inflation and that they want to see a sustained period of inflation declining on a month-on-month basis. So we'll still end up with annual increases in prices, but the level of inflation is starting to cool off. I think also for the Fed is when they broke down the details of that inflation print, it's really very broad-based now. Yes, we have very high energy costs that are being fueled by the conflict in Eastern Europe, uh, uh, higher food prices as a result of that as well. We have the distortion to supply chains stemming from the uh, very restricted COVID policies in China that are still kind of gumming up uh, people getting access to to goods from around the world. But when you look at the breakdown of the May CPI print, um, services in the United States was also a big component, contributing about three percentage points of the 8.6. So that's really a domestic story, not something that is exogenous to the United States at all. So showing some very strong broad-based um, inflation dynamics. I think Powell mentioning particularly um, sort of full airplanes and high uh, airline tickets as an example of very broad-based inflation. Uh, the other data point, as you as you mentioned, was the University of Michigan Consumer Survey, uh, which showed both that households' expectations of inflation are continuing to go higher, um, and also that just consumer sentiment is basically the worst it's ever been. Uh, so it hit a record low of 50.2. And I think, you know, for economists, we don't get very many data series that have as long a time series as something like the University of Michigan Sentiment Index that goes back to the 1950s. So to say that this is the worst period for consumers since that time is really quite striking. And as the the chair said, very eye-catching. Yeah, it's a bit astonishing, really, that consumers feel that they are worse off today 
than they were in the depth of the pandemic when everything was shut down and there was real concern about public health. And also during the depth of the financial crisis, when people were losing their jobs in, you know, huge numbers, um, people were having their homes repossessed, and there was a huge amount of uncertainty about the strength of the financial system. And, you know, to, to think that consumers today with very, very low unemployment, um, having come out of two years of, you know, stimulus checks and enhanced unemployment benefits and being able to take their pick really about how they work and where they work, um, that they're still so pessimistic about their prospects um, is really quite astonishing. And I, I suspect a lot of that is just due to how much it's costing them now to fill up their petrol tanks um, every time they they need to do so. Um, but clearly, you know, the, the 75 basis points uh is well it was unexpected by most banks i mean obviously after the the data at the end of uh last week it perhaps was a little bit more likely but what can we expect from the fed going forward yeah well we had a statement during the press conference after the fmc decision from the the chair that the next move would be either 75 or 50 basis point and that moves of this um, scale were going to be uncommon or that they're, they're going to be rare. Um, I think the market has had looked at that statement and took it uh, pretty positively. So in the immediate aftermath of the statement, we had this sort of rally in equity markets, bond prices rallying as well, uh, curves with the dollar coming off a little bit. That is already being reversed, however, as I think the consequences, everybody was focusing on the 50 basis point as the next move. But really, if we look at, you know, we're not that far away from the next FOMC meeting. It's going to be in a couple of weeks' time, really, in July. Is the inflation picture going to materially improve during that period that would change the Fed's calculus that they used in this meeting to say that they can't use 75? I don't understand what would cause that to, to come about in, in such a short kind of time frame. I think the inflation story is probably going to remain very sticky at these very kind of high levels um, going forward. So we we now do expect that at the July meeting, they are going to go through with another 75 basis point hike. And that over the rest of this year, rest of 2022, we're going to have 50 basis point hikes at the rest of the meetings. Uh, so essentially 50 basis points is now your small hike. Um, your, your sort of your dovish hike, uh, to put it in those kind of terms, which I think it is quite shocking considering where we started the year and where the, the Fed thought uh, the Fed funds rate was going to go. Now they're expecting it at 3.4% at the end of this year, which implies at least another 175 basis points of hiking. We think it's going to be more that they're going to get up to about uh, 4% on the Fed funds rate by the end of this year, as they're really going to have to be chasing that inflation uh, narrative. And the the variables that are affecting that, whether they are the domestic ones uh, or the external ones, aren't going to really turn on a dime on the fact that we've had already so much hikes from the Fed. It's really going to take some time for that to pass through and really start to materialize in terms of the data uh, doing what the Fed wants and slowing down quite considerably. Yeah, I think that's, I guess, where a lot of people are concerned about the, the outlook for the real economy, right? Because as you say, it normally would take at least six months, probably longer for an increase in interest rates to really 
have an impact um, on the real economy data. But we've already seen, um, you know, 75 basis points in increases since March. We've had another 75 last night, and potentially we get another 75 before the end of July. Um, but then the Fed also saying that they want to see a series of monthly declines in inflation before they even think about moderating that pace of rate hikes, which suggests, as you say, that they'll keep front-loading um, and actually be quite aggressive until they actually start to see inflation coming down. And that may not happen until uh, the the late uh, third quarter or into Q4. So I guess, you know, the question is, what could this, what impact could this have on the real economy, especially when you include the um, unwinding of the Fed's balance sheet or the runoff of the Fed's balance sheet, which they didn't really talk about at last night's press conference very much, but it is something which is already underway. Um, and that will uh, also have the impact of pushing up bond yields even more. Um, in previous meetings, Chairman Powell has said that the balance sheet runoff would potentially be the equivalent of another percentage point of rate hikes by the end of 2023. So, you know, this must be having or will have uh, an impact on the real economy. How do we see that playing out? Yeah, well, I think the whole objective is to really tighten financial conditions, whether it's through the, the Fed's preferred kind of hammer of interest rate moves going up in this phase or the, the one that happens in the background, which is the balance sheet runoff, which tends to be something that uh, I think people in financial markets tend to focus on much more than the, the sort of real economy. But when we listen to the commentary from the chair last night, you know, describing demand as far too strong, that really there is, there's, uh, the labor market is far too strong, that steps need to be taken to really ease conditions. Um, and one way to do that is to, you know, to make it essentially expensive to do anything. So anytime a company wants to look at investing uh, or hiring, and they have to go out and borrow money to make those um those accommodations or make those decisions, making it that much more expensive to do so, it helped slow the economy on aggregate. Conditions in the U.S. economy, barring the inflation story, have still been pretty good. I mean, the the data that we're seeing from the the labor market in particular, yes, it is very strong, but it is at least doing what the Fed wanted, that we've had jobs growth pretty sustained over the last few months, but um, the pace of wage growth isn't I don't think at an alarming stage really at this point. It is going higher, but it's not suggesting that there is this all-out wage price spiral, which is the real kind of worry um, that the, I think, economists and policymakers would be catching up or, or looking out for. But certainly the scale of interest rate hikes that we're going to be enduring this year, going from essentially zero at the start of the year to 4% by the end of the year, is going to be felt through uh, the entirety of the economy. It's going to be felt uh, immediately to anybody who's got a, a near-term loan or a, a floating loan for corporates or for, for homeowners or for uh, people paying off their car loans, that kind of thing. So that is going to have to make some make households and corporates more, I think, judicious or more uh, cautious in terms of what they're actually spending on. They could have done more, as you said, with the balance sheet rundown, perhaps accelerating that uh, and changing the shape of the yield curve as well, pushing up longer longer term yields. And that would have had a more uh, tangible impact on the housing market in the US in particular, but so far there hasn't been really any kind of allusion to doing more on that um, facet of the the Fed's toolkit and really not much commentary uh, uh, about it last night either. 
Right. So the Fed seems to be reasonably comfortable with some increase in unemployment. So we did see them raise their forecasts for uh, the unemployment rate, both at the end of this year and at the end of next year, which suggests that, uh, as you say, in order to see this cooling in the labor market, um, you know, we may need to see that rate rise. But they they still don't expect the economy to contract, which um, I have to say is a little bit of a of a struggle, right, for me to get my head around. In um, most places, including the UK and uh, most of Europe, um, you know, if you have two quarters of negative GDP, that's considered. Uh, to be a recession. Now, um, the Fed's projections still have growth at 1.7% uh, this year and also 1.7% in 2023. Um, they still have the unemployment rate rising. Now, in the US, they always do things a little bit differently than, than everybody else. Um, they don't define a recession as negative growth. They define it, so it's the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is a panel of academics effectively that will sit together in a room and decide, um, looking at the data, on whether a recession has started. And they'll obviously only be able to do that after the fact. But they define a recession as a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy and that lasts more than a few months. Now, one could argue that an increase in the unemployment rate from 3.6%, where it is now, to 4.1%, which is where the Fed expects it to be in a couple of years' time, that in itself suggests that the economy has deteriorated uh, significantly um, and that potentially would then be a recession. But I guess ultimately it'll be the uh, National Bureau of Economic Research that will decide that at some point in the future if it happens. Yeah, I think there's also some pretty open questions about the the quality and the credibility of the Fed's economic projections. Uh, I think that's where a lot of the criticism from financial markets in particular is weighing on it. And if we look even at, you know, we had what you would have expected last night from the summary of economic projections that um, the growth outlook was downgraded, um, unemployment was uh, raised higher, and also the inflation projection was revised higher as well. That's the the PCE indicator that the Fed prefers rather than the, the CPI. But they still only raised the PCE deflator to 5.2% this year, which would mean to get that we were averaging already almost closer to 7% on that indicator. So to get to that kind of low 5% level, you would have to have a very sustained period of deceleration in inflation and, 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 and sizable as well on a monthly basis. And it just doesn't look like that's really going to be a credible or achievable target. And probably I think is, is one of the factors that is kind of pushing the, the the Fed to essentially chase the market. And the market is pricing in a much higher inflation trajectory than the Fed is at this at this stage. It's suggesting that the Fed is going to need to be doing these outsized hikes for a more prolonged period, rather than just the kind of one-off uh, to prompt a slower pace of economic activity now, uh, and rather than extending it out over the rest of 2023, as their projections seem to indicate. So getting to that soft landing, even though the chair did indicate that he thinks it is still achievable. And by the standards of the summary of economic projections, yes, that's that's sort of what a soft landing would look like, a, a relatively modest level of unemployment ticking higher. And still, by historic standards, still a pretty good level of unemployment for the U.S. economy uh, and growth slowing down to 1.7%. I think the big question is, can they maintain that over two years, given the pace of tightening, given where inflation is at the moment? I 
I do have some serious questions about how achievable that is. Um, but I think one of the, the interesting dynamics for us here at Emirates MBD uh, sitting in Dubai is that we look at obviously the US economy with a great amount of attention, not just given this probably the most important or the critical economy for the, the global economy, but also in terms of policy, we do essentially import our monetary policy directly from the Fed. So when we look at uh, a Fed funds rate, potentially at 4% at the end of this year, Katija, how does that translate in terms of uh, the impact it's going to have here in the UAE uh, and really across the rest of the GCC economies that do maintain that dollar peg? Right. So as you say, I mean, when you have a pegged currency, you really need to follow the central bank uh, to which you are are pegged. So in this case, that is the Federal Reserve. Now, um, when we look around the region in the past, uh, Saudi Arabia has not always moved exactly in line with the Federal Reserve, um, but generally they have moved in the same direction. Uh, They may have perhaps not done as much in terms of hikes or cuts, and they may have waited a little bit uh, before implementing those changes to their policy rates, but ultimately they've been able to uh, maintain uh, the correct interest rate differential uh, to not put the peg at risk. Um, so last night, uh, the Saudi Arabian Central Bank announced that they uh, raised the repo rate by 50 basis points rather than the 75 that the Fed had done. Kuwait, which of course is pegged to a basket of currencies, very heavily weighted on the dollar, but not fully pegged to the dollar, um, has raised their benchmark rate by just 25 basis points uh, rather than, again, the 75 that the Fed has done. But for the UAE, historically, the UAE has always moved exactly in line with the Federal Reserve. And in fact, they did again uh, last night. So we have seen the UAE's base rate move up uh, by 75 basis points. Incidentally, our policy rate is anchored to not the uh, Fed funds rate, which is what the FOMC announces, but the interest rate on excess reserves, um, which is a different rate that the Fed publishes and generally moves in line with the uh, Fed funds rate. So in this case, there's not been much difference there. So overall, we do expect borrowing costs in the UAE to rise as the Fed continues to raise rates, and this will almost certainly weigh on growth. Now, we had expected growth to slow in the non-oil sectors, in the UAE, and the rest of the GCC this year anyway. Um, But clearly, you know, we were looking at a much more gentle pace of interest rate hikes uh, when we made those projections. So it's possible that the 4% that we've penciled in for non-oil sector growth in the UAE this year may not be uh, achievable given the the pace of the tightening that's now going on. Um, But there's also another channel you know, that um, will affect the UAE economy, and that is the the strength of the dollar. So um, generally, when you have a big interest rate differential, as you know, the Federal Reserve is going to be hiking much more than most of the other um, central banks. It's emerging market currencies that tend to bear the brunt of that and tend to weaken in response to that. And given that most of our um, tourists and tourism comes from uh, emerging markets uh, economies, it makes the UAE a much more expensive destination for those tourists. And so a stronger dollar generally is a headwind for the tourism sector and for services uh, more broadly. So that's another way in which um, higher interest rates in the United States will potentially be a drag on growth in in the UAE. And then, of course, from a a household perspective, uh, mortgage rates will rise. And this would potentially help to 
cooled the real estate sector, which has seen very, very strong price growth over the last 18 or so months. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because we're already starting to see anecdotally concerns about the affordability of housing in Dubai in particular. Um, you know, it is becoming an issue in some segments of the market. The rate of price growth that we've seen for freehold properties in particular has been very, very high, double digits, you know, 20 or 30% year on year. And that's not really a sustainable rate of growth going forward. So, I think it's it's probably you know a little bit welcome perhaps for the authorities to see interest rates um, rising in the United States and that being passed on to some extent to households here because that in in the first instance should help to cool demand uh, for real estate and help to to bring those prices to a much more manageable and uh, sustainable level. There are though um, other levers that policymakers can use to try and support growth. Um, so if you can't adjust monetary policy, uh, you still have the lever of fiscal policy. Um, and I think this is something which particularly in this region is, is uh, a benefit that we have that very few other countries will be enjoying this year. Because of high oil prices and high oil production, most of the countries in the GCC, all of them in fact, will probably run budget surpluses. So that means they have the ability to increase investment spending in the domestic economy to try and offset some of the slowdown potentially in consumption by households um, or in the private sector more broadly. Um, now, we don't know yet whether that is in fact what uh, policymakers will choose to do, but they do have that that option to um, help to maintain growth overall by increasing um, public sector spending and investment um, if there is quite a lot of pressure being put on the, the private sector from these higher borrowing costs and from the stronger dollar. So, I mean, I think overall, if we were to, to sit back and, and, and look ahead at the next six to 12 months, I think it's still fair to say that there is a, a very high level of uncertainty, both about how economies will adapt to this changing interest rate environment, um, to what extent and how quickly they will slow. Um, and certainly, I think the risks to global growth are on the downside at this point, um, given the you know, almost record rate at which rates are rising. Um, I don't know that there's much of a historical precedent, uh, you know, that we can look at to say, well, you know, the Fed's raised uh, interest rates by 400 basis points within 12 months, and this has been the impact on the economy. Um, but I do think it's, it's going to be um, difficult for them to achieve that soft landing that you talked about. In this region, though, I think there are still reasons to be optimistic about the outlook. Um, we do have, as I said, the, the cushion of a budget surplus um, across the region. Uh, and, you know, there is some flexibility in terms of how that can be deployed. Um, so we will be watching the data in the coming months to see how things are evolving um, in our region relative to the rest of the world. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, I think you've summed it up very nicely. Obviously, it's a, a really kind of uncertain or unusual times in how fast the adjustment is happening uh, for central banks to adjust policy. And it's not just a matter for the United States and for consumers there. But as you've outlined, there's a lot of sort of collateral countries um, that fall along the way that can be exposed to it. 
Great. Thank you so much um, for for doing this podcast. It was an unscheduled one, but, you know, we, we felt we needed to do it after the events of, of yesterday. Um, if our listeners would like to know more about what we've been talking about today, please visit our website at www.emiratesnbdresearch.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please rate and share it.